Young, back to throw. In trouble, he's going to be sacked. No, gets away. He runs, gets away again, goes to the 40, gets away again, to the 35, cuts back at the 30, to the 20, the 50, the 10. He dies, touchdown, 49ers. A wild, heartbreaking loss for the 49ers in Week 3 has us wondering exactly what this team is at the moment. This is Al Sacco and Zane Nakvi here for the 49ers Web Zone No Huddle Podcast, still reeling from a game that was one of the best Thursday night affairs in recent memory. And it was a shame, actually, that it was decided by a terrible officiating call. Um, and we are certainly going to have our thoughts on that. But Zane, it's like one step forward, two steps back, because the offense finally looked like it hit its stride in Week 3, and the defense, after a dominant week, couldn't stop anyone. Yeah, and you're going to kind of see that. You're going to see a lot of a lot of one unit struggling, the other unit doing well, and vice versa. Because they're still a young team. This is the I think the third youngest defense in the league, so they're going to struggle. But I think the fact that the offense showed some life, they scored 39 points, and I think the last time they scored th- at least 35 was Harbaugh's last year, and it was the Sunday night game against the Chargers. You remember Kaepernick had that like 90 yeah. yard run? Yep. Yeah, it was it was that game. They scored 35 points in that game, and you know, just the way they're able to come back and hang in there. It was just really encouraging for me to see. And we'll get into all of it. But first, I want to tell you about our guest who we have on this episode. And, and now, as you know, if you listen to the show, we try and get a variety of different voices in terms of our guests. And, and this is no different. Um, we're going to welcome in our friend, Matt Allman. And if you're not familiar with Matt, he's the marketing agent for Matt Breed and Adrian Colbert. And we're excited to get some insight on the business side of things, including how he came to represent Breed and Colbert and what it's like to work with the 49ers. An up-and-coming marketing agent in the league, our guest represents 49ers running back Matt Breida, defensive back Adrian Colbert, and also Pittsburgh Steelers wide receiver Juju Smith-Schuster, who I know a lot of 49ers fans were high on during the draft time. He is our buddy, Matt Allman. Matt, it's great to have you here. Thanks for having me on. I appreciate it. Oh, no worries. I, I can't wait to get into this and, and kind of talk some business end here because, you know, we talk so much on the field stuff and to players and the media to, to get some of the business end here is going to be really cool. And I, I know your agency is a newer one. Can you tell yeah. us about how you got started and, and what made you want to get into this type of business? Yeah, honestly, I mean, I had a corporate job kind of pretty much like everybody else when I started and um, I literally got laid off on my 30th birthday and I had I had a marketing job with a large electronics company. Actually, probably, we all have their TVs probably hanging on the wall in one of our rooms in our house, but she got laid off on my 30th birthday and I, I took that phone call and I looked at my wife and I told her, I was like, I don't ever, ever want to have to rely on somebody else's decision making again for my income or my family's, you know, I mean, ultimate outcome as far mm-hmm. as this lifetime goes. And uh, I kind of just, I always had a passion for sports and I was able to develop some kind of connection through the marketing world uh, over the time being. And I just kind of dove right into it. Um, it was definitely a struggle at first, for sure, obviously being brand new. Um, but I was able to, uh, to uh, get one guy to believe in me a little bit and it kind of all snowballed from there. Now, who was that guy who believed in you a little bit? Can you, can you, is there so, somebody you so could you, Yeah, so Juju was the first guy that I actually had a, a formal meeting with. Um, and obviously he, he was still in school. So it's, it's never easy to, I mean, it's, it's easy to say, yeah, Matt, you're my guy. I'm going to go with you. But you know, when you're talking to somebody who's 19 years old, um, you know, who still has a lot of decisions to make in life, uh, obviously you can't sign contracts at that point. He's still a student athlete. So it's kind of like, you're just, you're relying on their word and, uh, it's, it gets a little stressful, but I mean, he, uh, he, he stuck by his commitment to me his verbal commitment to me. And um, you know, I appreciate that. And I rewarded him. Um, I think obviously with some deals and 
uh, the other guys kind of just, it, it literally just kind of started snowballing um, for me. And I was able to meet Juju, obviously, out of SC. And then uh, guys, you know, that are, you know, on the team or they got drafted or they're you no know, longer on the team now. But it just kind of, it's it's a very interesting band of brothers. And once you prove yourself to be trustworthy and legit, you just start getting referrals. And it literally got to the point where I was receiving phone calls from kids. I had no idea who they were. And I had to Google them, literally. Wow. Um, that, you know, that they were players, you know, in Florida, Texas. Um, people, players just, I, weren't, I wasn't familiar with yet. Um, but it's, it's literally when I tell you it's like a band of brothers, but once you get in and you establish that trust, um, you know, there's, it's amazing how quick it snowballs. So it was like, literally like Jerry Maguire, like you're down there, like shaking hands, hoping that this guy is not going to go, you know what I mean? Behind your back or, or or find, or somebody else comes in and gets him. It's a hundred percent like that. I mean, it's, um, you know, obviously I think a lot of agencies looked at me, um, like I was this little guy that really didn't have much of anything to offer. Um, all I could offer was my relationship, uh, my reputation, my trust uh, to these players. And I think ultimately, I'd like to believe relationships win nine out of ten times. And I feel like as long as you do right by the player every time, the rest kind of just falls into place. And, uh, you know, I mean, it's a lot of these bigger agencies. I mean, let's face it, it's like it's like a Walmart. I mean, you walk in there, they're like, mm-hmm. oh, we can do your finances. We can do everything else for you. We can do this. We can do that. When you go, go into Walmart, you can get your groceries, you can get your oil changed. Is that necessarily the best fit, though? And uh, you know what I kind of offer people is, let's face it. I mean, a lot of these a lot of these agents are attorneys. And would you rather have somebody do your marketing that has a background in it, has a degree in it, or would you rather have somebody that went to law school do it? And you know, I I I think anybody that's done a little bit of marketing in their life, it takes a specific type of creative mindset uh, as opposed to uh, you know somebody that's kind of straight, you know, literally by the book. This is how we do it, and. Um, you know, it's it's definitely been a struggle. It hasn't been easy by any means. Um, but every day, you know, I wake up and it, it is kind of David versus Goliath. And that's the mentality I have to take. Now, we mentioned that you currently represent uh, Matt Breed and Adrian Colbert, two current 49ers. Yeah. Can, you, can you take us through yeah. the process in, in terms of how you actually went about citing those guys and got in contact with those yeah. guys? Yeah, so Adrian, uh, I can't I can't say enough good things about Adrian Colbert as a person. I'm very, very careful about who I associate myself with. I always tell people, like, I value your business, but I don't need your business. Uh, I'm married. I have three children. So, I mean, literally, whoever I sign, my I mean, my kids will instantly become their fans. And the last thing I ever want is my children to go to school, you know, wearing a jersey and have to worry about something that happened by, from that player, you know, the previous night before or anything like that. So I'm very selective about who I work with. But Adrian was actually um, – I got hooked up with Adrian actually from a University of Texas player who played with Adrian at Texas. And they called me and I came at like, you know, I mean, they just basically said, Hey, this, he's got a lot of questions. He needs some help. He's a super talented player. He was like a big brother to me here at Texas. Can you help him out? And I picked up the phone and called Adrian and Adrian's one of those people who's just so charismatic. And it literally was one phone call. And uh, I just felt like a special connection with him. And uh, we kind of navigated the process together. Uh, as a team, and I mean, it, he's like I, I can't tell you just like the kid. He's so positive. He's always smiling. Um, when we started this process, I, I'm going to be honest. I didn't know if he was going to be a draftable prospect or not. I knew he had potential, but I also know that at Texas, he didn't get to showcase it much. When he went to Miami, he had some. He had strung together a couple of great games, and he broke his form against Notre Dame, which was mm-hmm. arguably the best game of his college career. And I knew there was. Um, I knew I, I I could see the kid could play. I knew that. 
And that's kind of what we went with. You know, my, 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 in November and December, when you asked me, where do I think Adrian Colbert's going to end up? I was going to say, hopefully a camp invite. When we got towards the combine and he wasn't a combine invite, he was a combine snub. He literally circled that Miami pro day um, on his calendar. And he said, Matt, I'm going to, I'm going to blow the 40 yard dash. Like I'm, I'm blown out. The stopwatches will break. And he was so determined to literally break their stopwatches in that 40 yard dash. I, I was standing next to several teams. I heard four two five forty from about three or four different teams. And I'm telling you, the first run I don't think was a four two five. The second run was something I I've never quite seen from a player that big before. And he can and fly. I mean, he, yeah, he can fly six two two o five, and we're talking about four two five forty, and he hits like a truck. Gosh, you know, I mean, it's he's yeah. uh, he's just phenomenal kid. Got got lucky and blessed and, you know, synced up with him. And he's, he also too, he's kind of, he understands how I am as a person and how I value character. And um, it's, he was, you know, I think just being out with Matt in San Francisco, we started talking to Matt a little bit. Um, Matt, I, I heard, I read about Matt. I knew about Matt, obviously being a 49ers fan, um, but I never got to speak to him uh, during his college days. And uh, Adrian's like, hey, he's like, I want to introduce you to. And talking to Matt, you know, there's some opportunities that were out there that it just he wasn't he wasn't getting the opportunities he should have been getting with where he, where he's you know started and where he's at now. And we were able to uh, be able to get him on the team and start getting some of those opportunities for him now, um, as far as deals go and whatnot. So it's uh, thanks to Adrian, I have Matt, and Matt's another one of those human beings too. When you talk to him you just walk away completely. I mean, just like, wow, like that is an amazing kid. I mean, he, he is absolutely a phenomenal person. He is one of Matt and Adrian, the two of the most respectful kids I think that I've ever spoke with as far as the recruiting process mm -hmm. goes. And I'm, wow. I'm blessed to have him on the team. Yep. And, and with Matt uh, too, he's, his story is pretty great. I mean, you know, he doesn't get invited to the combine. He, he had a rough last yep. year in college and, and he comes out yep. and, you know, I think people maybe had him pegged for the practice squad this year and he comes out and earns the backup running back job. You know, he's, he, <laughs> what did he's he start a, running back number six or seven? Yeah. And, he, and yeah. you heard a little bit here and there, you know, oh, okay, you know, he's looking good, but wait till we put the pads yep. on. And he was RB two yep. before you knew it, you know? Pro day was something of freak, uh, freaking nature too. I mean, the, it, it, anybody who wants to pull up the results of his pro day, it's absolutely phenomenal. And he did it in a pouring rainstorm. To me, it's like, it's just like yeah, one more crazy. thing to add on to their journey. And, uh, I don't know if anybody got to see it last week, but, uh, Peter Schrager on NFL Network actually did about three and a half minute piece on that. I saw that. How, yeah. uh, yes. I mean, it, it, he nailed it. And, um, I mean, that's Matt, Matt's got some big things coming for him. I'm really excited about the situation he's in. I agree. Yeah, I, th I, th I think he's got. He's going to be. He's going to be around a while for sure. Now, yep. what's an average day like for you in your line of work? Does it ebb and flow depending on the time of year? I mean, are you on the phone all day? I'm just interested to hear somebody in your it job. Does. There, sort of it does. There's an it does. There's an absolute lot of phone time, and obviously, you know, being an East Coast guy um, such as yourself, it's a lot of the phone calls from the West Coast don't come in until ten or eleven o'clock at night. So right. Yep. Sometimes my <laughs> Yeah, sometimes my day doesn't really get started until around 8 or 9 p.m., and it goes to 1 or 2 in the morning, but that's just kind of the nature of the beast. Um, honestly, with this, it's it's the recruiting process uh, for the next year's guys has already started for me, and then even the, the, the next year after the next year's guys. Um, that A lot of time goes into that. Um, you know, obviously, during during the, um, I guess, the pre-draft process is when we're able to get a lot of deals done for the current guys, and that's when we can strictly focus on them. Um, a lot of this stuff is already preset before the season begins, so it's already in place. 
um, any like content filming, um, anything that you really see that's done in the off season, like any of uh, the FedEx clips or anything like that, that they use for promotion that they actually do that in May and April. Hmm. So these guys can focus on football during the season. So there's a lot of behind the scenes stuff that goes on literally in the off season. And then it's like right now during football season, it's, I, I'm very focused on watching these guys. We have a lot of their deals already wrapped up. Um, if anything new presents itself, we kind of we kind of look at it from uh, you know a blip view to see if it makes sense for us to do right now or should we wait. Um, but yeah, I'm already on the recruiting trail for next year's guys. It's like it <laughs> so never it's, ends, uh, right? It, it, it never ends. It's a, it's a fun cycle. It's definitely stressful. Um, it's it's definitely stressful to uh, have to rely on a young man to say, oh yeah, Matt, you're my guy. And at the end of the day, I mean, it's, it all depends if they want to sign that paper with you or not once they declare or once their last, you know, after their final college game. So it's a, it's a crapshoot, but it's, it's what I signed up for and I love it. Now, obviously, I'm sure that there's, there's certain secrets you can't give away, but what's it been like dealing with the 49ers so far? Do, do you work with the front office a lot in, in what you do with players marketing wise, or, or do you not have so much contact? So, so honestly, it's it's with the 49ers, it's been through the communications department and or the communications PR department, and they've been absolutely phenomenal. Um, their biggest thing is, you know, they just they want these guys. I mean, it's a first class organization in which obviously as a 49ers fan, that makes me like feel glad to say that they're they're very, very protective of their players, and I completely respect that and get that. Um, but it's literally it's from the top down, they want nothing but the best for their players on and off the field. So if there is like, you know, any type of communications, PR stuff, anything that, I mean, like, honestly, yeah, I work for the players specifically. They work for the team, but it's almost, it's it's been a good partnership so far with the team. If I have a question or like, hey, I want to get, you know, Matt or Adrian on this, what do you guys think? I reach out to them and they've been nothing but supportive. And, you know, we've had great dialogue back and forth. I mean, I, I can't say nothing but great things about the 49ers office so far. Now, is it something if, if you do get a deal with, I don't know, with Adidas or whoever it is, is that something that you have to go back to the 49ers and say, hey, we have this on the table and, and sort of get the permission or, no. or can you do it on the side? So, yeah, no, not at all. We don't have to go through the, the 49ers team on that whatsoever. Um, a lot of uh, people don't know this, but literally the jersey, the pants and the helmet, I think of the 49ers property What the players wear is gloves, um, shoe, the, the shoe wear and stuff like that. That's all players preference. So they can choose any brand they want to. Um, and that's kind oh, of, I didn't know that. Okay. Kind of, yeah. Yeah. So that all that other stuff is property of the team. The stuff with the Nike check marks on it basically is property of the team, the Jersey, the pants, the helmet, anything else that the players have on, that's basically a separate marketing deal that they worked out. Um, so, uh, I mean, it's, it's pretty much either Nike, Adidas or Under Armour. And right now Adidas has been kind of the top dog for basically a lot of the players. They're uh, really making a strong push, uh, specifically with the NFL players right now. So they've been fantastic to work with. Now, are there any guys in the industry that, whether it's marketing or contract negotiations or whatever it is, that you looked up to or have even been, kind of been a mentor for you so far? So, I mean, like everybody, you know, absolutely. There's, there's, been, there's been quite a few. I've been very blessed to. Um, I'm, very, I'm very cautious with who I approach with questions and look for answers with because you never know. I mean, it could be a double-edged sword at the end of the day. Um, but, I, I mean, obviously, Lee Steinberg, I mean, he's kind of a, in the agent role, but he's kind of a GOAT. Um, you know, the greatest of all time, so to speak, uh, you know, Warren Moon, Steve Young, all those guys back in the day. I mean, the, the, the amount of knowledge he has pertaining to this industry and business. Um, obviously, he's somebody I kind of watch from a distance. I don't have like a lot of direct contact with him. I've, I've had the pleasure of speaking with him several times and they run a, they run a great agency out there. Um, players rep is another good one. Players rep um, is, 
Andy Sims, and uh, he represents Adrian Colbert right now, and he's been absolutely phenomenal to work with. Um, any questions I have specifically, I mean, like, obviously I'm not an attorney, so any, any contracts that come across the board and there is no, like, you know, uh, there's no competitiveness between the two of us. We work together what's best for the client. And that's, that's what's, that's what's awesome about it. Now, being that you were basically a startup, did you have to kind of break down that wall, so to speak, with these bigger agencies or were they welcoming? No, they're, they're not welcoming literally, um, you know. <laughs> I, I can imagine honestly, it. <laughs> yeah, it's, uh, you know, I mean, the, the NFL, you know, the collective bargaining agreement changed and the agents can't charge what they used to uh, as far as uh, the agent commission fees and whatnot. So they rely on a lot of their income off these athletes on the side marketing deals, uh, the trading card agreements, uh, the uh, paid appearances. So when somebody comes in that kind of, you know, they're saying like, oh, we can handle this. They really don't, they, you know, they really don't want me involved. Um, however, you you hope they do what's best for the client. If the client says, you know, the player says, you know what, Matt's my guy. This is my marketing guy. You're going to be my agent. And I'm going to have a separate financial or a separate financial guy. You hope they respect that, but they don't. I mean, they, they still try to push me out and mm. which is fine. You know, I, there's a lot of guys that call me on a daily basis because they see a lot of the, the connections I have with the current uh, college players across the country. You know, they act nice to my face, but trust me, when I'm talking to parents, parents are very quick to tell on them. I mean, anything they could possibly, anything they could possibly say, you know, negative or whatnot, they're very quick to bring it up in a conversation to me. And I, <laughs> I, I'm appreciative of that. Sometimes I wish I was like, ah, I really don't want to know that I thought he liked me as a person. Yeah. Um, but, you know, it's a, it's one of those things to where I just, my mindset is I'll never, like my mom always told me, if you don't have anything nice to say, don't say anything at all. So I just rise above it. And plus, to be honest with you, it's a very unprofessional look. Um, if if I'm making big agencies that insecure about my relationship with the player and the family, then I must be doing something right. So I kind of take that as a compliment. Exactly. And, and you know, like you said, the more you take the higher road, the more of a trust you're going to build with those parents and, and, and your clients, you know, That's and they're going to want to come to you as opposed to. Right, right. <laughs> I, yeah, to do exactly. that. Oh, my God. It's so yeah, shit. That well, would bother me. That's so shady, man. Oh my it, god, it, dude! It, it is, it is, and it's all about connections. They're like, "Hey, can you get me?" You know, after they ask you about your wife and kids, they're like, "Hey, by the way, do you have so and so's phone number?" I'm like, "Hey, I do, but yeah, you're not getting it." <laughs> so it's, uh, you know, it, but that's part of the trust thing, you know. When these guys reach out to me when they want to ask questions off me or you know bounce questions off me, I'm here for that stuff. Honestly, I I enjoy being a big brother and a mentor first, and then I always tell them and tell the parents, I'm like, look. Ask any questions you want off me through this process. I've sat through about 30 different agent interviews now uh, for contracts uh, for players. And I said, if there's anything that you guys have questions on, ask me. I said, if I do a good job for you on that and you trust me and you, you feel insincere, please consider me for your marketing at the end of all of it. And that's, that's how I present myself. I'm blue collar. I'm awful at putting myself out there and kind of publicizing myself. That's been the most difficult thing for me to like, you know, parents are always like, why should we choose you? What can we do? Or what can you do for mm -hmm. us? I'm one of those guys that I just rather show you, like, let me get to work. I'll show you what I can do for you as opposed to talk about it. But I realized there's just no possible way I can operate like that all the time. So <laughs> yeah, it's, I, it's been a catch 22 for me. I'm very good at publicizing other people, brands, you know, building brands and whatnot. But when it came to myself, it was like, gosh, I hate talking about myself. It's, I sound like such a jerk. But you'll, no, get, you, you'll, you'll get used to it. <laughs> yeah, I have absolutely. I, I don't want to be. I don't want to be used car salesman, though. <laughs> I know. I have absolutely nothing <laughs> to offer anyone, and I'm I'm huge at promoting. You ever see me on Twitter? Who am I? You know what I mean. I never shut up. So I'll I'll help you with hey, that. 
Nothing wrong with that. Oh, man. There's a reason I follow you. Appreciate it. So what are some current deals or agreements that some of your players might have in place right now that that you'd want to talk about? Yeah, so Adrian actually just signed an exclusive with Adidas. Um, He's he's an Adidas athlete now, so you'll be seeing him wear uh, the footwear throughout the season. He'll be wearing the gloves. Um, Hopefully, when you see him off the field, he's dressed up in Adidas swag uh, from head to toe. Um, current, we're working with a couple brands right now on Matt, trying to finalize one. Uh, Matt's pretty interesting. I mean, he wasn't on the radar for these guys uh, this spring when they were locking up these players. So, you know, naturally, there's some players that Matt beat out that have deals that are, you know, are better in place that are a pretty high value. So with Matt, it's like, okay, yeah, he wasn't that high draft choice, but look where he's on the depth chart now. So mm-hmm. it's kind of finding that happy medium. Um, for Matt, but we were able to lock up. Uh, he's going to have his first uh, autographed trading cards um, and Panini products coming out shortly. Oh, great. Um, so we work with, yeah, we work with them. Uh, Adrian was uh, blessed enough to get a deal with a trading card company called Sage. Um, we've done, gosh, we've done deals with uh, Leaf trading cards. Um, the Kellogg cereal is actually doing a social media spot right now. Um, I guess during football season, Adrian's actually in one of the clips. So that was one of the things we just did. Um, paid appearances, cash. I mean, Juju actually, we just, uh, I just booked him on a Steelers, uh, legends cruise. So after season, he gets to go on a free week vacation to uh, the Bahamas and participate in a bunch of things. Nice. <laughs> it's, uh, I mean, it's, it's amazing. Yeah. It's, it's funny. Nice gig. Uh, yeah, exactly. What, what amazes me is like the more popular these guys get and the more money they get in their pockets, the more free stuff they get. That just seems like it's like counter, you know, like <laughs> it's just, it doesn't seem like it makes any sense, you know? Yeah, but it's uh, it's fine. I mean, I was out at dinner with Juju like a week and a half ago, and uh, I'm not gonna say what restaurant we were at, but the lady's like, "Hey, here's a bunch of free uh, dessert coupons," you know, pushing them on them, and uh, amazing. <laughs> you know, I mean, then she then Must she followed nice. up with uh, yeah, then she followed up with her my fantasy team. So it's uh, you know, it's one of those things that <laughs> it, it, it just comes with the territory. So, but I can honestly tell you, it's it's been a very very fun ride to see. Um, all three of these guys. And I actually have four. I'm waiting for one of them, Jerome Lane, the wide receiver to Akron. Everybody remembers his dad. Um, he actually uh, was the one that hit that shattered the backboard about 20 years ago. He was okay. Yep. NBA pick. Yeah. So Jerome went to the University of Akron, got there at linebacker. I think he had seven sacks as a freshman as a linebacker at Akron. Then he transferred, or he um, switched positions to wide receiver, had over 800 yards as a sophomore, then over 1,000 yards as a junior. Um, signed with the Giants, stuck with the Giants all the way through camp. And, um, got down to the final cuts and there, there's one player they wanted to clear waivers and the player uh i'm sorry there's one player that they thought was not going to clear waivers and they're going to bring jerome back and that player actually ended up clearing waivers so we're just waiting for jerome to get a phone call but uh this kid is phenomenal too 6'3 225 and he was an absolute combine free combine invite um just a phenomenal kid too so i'm, I'm very blessed to have the four that i work with and then uh, just one more person too that I really, as far as talking about mentors, kind of circle back around. Jeff Garcia, mm. former 49ers quarterback, has been absolutely awesome with me. Um, he's actually kind of developed a very good friendship with me over the past year, and he's somebody I bounce a lot of ideas off of just because he's been through it all. I mean, like he's not in the you know the sports business side of it. Like, yeah, he's been around it, you know, and he's been phenomenal to work with. So. Yeah, we've been trying to get him on the show. <laughs> I'd love to talk to Jeff. Um, <laughs> maybe, yeah, so. maybe I'll have to. Uh, maybe I'll have to reach out to him for you. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, let's talk about that off air because I'd lo- I'd love to have Jeff on the show. Yeah, he's, he's one of the guys yeah, that was always like because he's another one that I think is just is a great story. You know, he came oh out God. of you know nobody expected him to do anything, and he was following Steve Young, and he 
you know, took a lot of heat at first. And he's the last, you know, prolific quarterback the Niners have had. You know, it's been 15, 16 years. I think Jeff's got a great story. Great, good stuff. I always, uh, I always joke, you know, people are like, what's Jeff Garcia like? I'm like, Jeff Garcia is the type of guy, when you get off the phone with him, you, you like, I mean, you want to go work out. Like, I mean, like, there is no question. Like, you need to go work out. Like, you're a slouch. Jeff's already been in the gym for four hours that day. <laughs> you know, he's, he's been fine-tuning his body. I mean, it's, the guy will race you in a shoe-tying contest. He's one of the most competitive individuals I know. But, I mean, he's an excellent family man. And he, you could tell this is why he's successful. I mean, just the character, the makeup of him. I mean, like, it's, it's phenomenal. He's an amazing person. Now, we know you're a 49ers fan. How did you start following the team? Was it a certain player? How did, how did you come so, to be a fan? Obviously, I'm, I'm in Northeast Ohio, and I, you know, the Cleveland Browns always sucked. And I, even growing up, I just watched my dad just sit there in misery watching the Browns every Sunday. And I honestly, I don't know the exact reason I became a 49ers fan, but I'm almost positive it had to do something with, like, pissing off my dad. Because the 49ers, I mean, was absolutely fantastic, you know. And I, I, I don't know why. I was always vindictive like that. But, um, no, I mean, like, it just, I, God, I just watched it. You know, I, it was about a year or two before the Super Bowl. I want to say I was seven, the last Super Bowl we won. And uh, it's just watching Steve Young, you know, Jerry Rice, those guys, man, they're just fantastic. It was so, I mean, every, the offense was so smooth, the pass routes. I mean, just anything that, you know, everything as a kid that you wanted to be as a football player, you could watch the 49ers on Sunday and see it. And uh, it just became like a, a lifelong passion. I'm always very quick to tell people this. The 49ers, I mean, uh, you know, we all go through tough times. But like, you know, as a, as a teenager and like, you know, uh, you know, going through all that stuff, you know, my parents split up when I was younger. And I honestly, the only thing I could really count on was 49ers football on Sunday. And it became like I had to have it. And, uh, I've been a diehard since, and you know, I mean, like you said about Jeff Garcia, I remember just living, you know, the roller coaster of Jeff Garcia and Terrell Owens, you know, every Sunday, you know, yeah. was, God, we got two, you know, one touchdown, two touchdowns, you know, then the relationship. I mean, like it, that was some fun football to watch. Jeff never had the strongest arm, but I mean, he he was a gamer. He absolutely, uh, he was just phenomenal to watch. And like you said, he was the best. He was the last great quarterback we had. Now, how are you feeling about um, the Kyle Shanahan era? Are you hopeful? Are, are you just kind of still losing at this I'm, point? I'm very hopeful. I'm very hopeful. I, I think it starts from the top down. I really I like the John Lynch hire. Um, I think he's got a great vision for what he wants for this football team. Um, I mean, I'm not gonna lie. I kind of went through a wall uh, a couple of years after the Jim Harbaugh, you know, era. I mean, like to me, I, I just I wish that could have worked out. I was always a big Jim fan. Um, you know, I, I know he rubs people the wrong way, but let's face it. He, he made that offense work. I mean, we had the talent there. He just made it work. And, you know, everybody uh, everybody knows he put a lot of his assistants. So a lot of that stuff was his assistants, you know, his coaching assistants that made that work. Um, but Jim, as a leader and a motivator, I know he rubs some people the wrong way, but my God, those those teams are fun to watch. That, uh, that season after the lockout, you know, I mean, just for us to come out and uh, do what we did was just incredible. And, uh, you know, Jim was always funny. He was always good for the sound bites and always definitely good for you guys uh, reporting on it. So, <laughs> yeah, he, he, but yeah, I'm, I'm definitely very, I, I think we're definitely moving in the right direction. I like that we, we turned over a lot of the roster. I think we had to, um, you know, I, I'm not to say anything bad about the previous regime with, you know, Trent and whatnot, but, you know, I don't know how many more ACL injuries that we could have drafted and they'd not worked out. <laughs> Yeah, it's, uh, you know, you know, God love those guys. You know, obviously they were put in a tough spot with being, you know, selected somewhat higher than they probably should have. 
than not working out. But, um, you know, I, I, I'm, I'm glad to see the roster turnover. And I think we're going to start seeing, you know, a lot of these guys start fitting in perfectly now. I mean, and our defensive coordinator, I love him. I think he's probably going to be one of the greatest young minds in the game right now. And uh, I think he's going to do some really good things with a lot of those guys. So I take a little bit from the gel. Agree. Hopefully by the end of the season, we'll start to see things kind of, kind of move in the right direction. So we had week two, the defense plays well. This, you know, week three, the offense plays well. Maybe this week, they week four, they can actually build to it at the same time. So we'll see if that happens. I'll I'll tell you the one thing though, that is impressive. There has been no quit. And even in any of the games yet, they have fought for the last whistle. And I mean, as a as a fan, I can appreciate that. I mean, that's to me, that's that's what I want to watch when I you know watch 49ers football. I don't care if we if we're winning. I I care to see us just be competitive and not just go through the motions. Yeah. And I I, I don't see that like I did with the previous years. So I, I'm I'm definitely feeling like things are moving in the right direction. Plus, all this young blood on the team, the youth. I mean, let's face it; these guys are hungry. They want to get out there. They're going to push people. And, you know, we saw that with Matt. We saw how much Matt's, Matt came up the depth chart, beat out veterans. And, that, I mean, you know, I, I mean, it's incredible. And then, you know, Adrian, Adrian's starting on special teams. He's doing phenomenal. And I wouldn't be surprised to start seeing him get some game reps, too. So it's, it's going to be a good season for us. I, I'm really excited kind of the direction that we're going. I, I'm not saying we're going to do playoffs this year. That's a long shot. We made Jared Goff look like a pro bowler. Yeah. But, <laughs> At the same point, I, I do like this. I like what I'm seeing. And you know what about Adrian, too? Even I agree with you. I think, you know, he'll eventually start seeing some snaps on defense. But he's the type of guy who's so good on special teams because of his speed and size. He can have a 10-year career just on special teams. You know, you think of somebody like, yeah, you know, a CJ Spillman or just those guys. Who, who I really use that guy. I was actually just going to say him. I mean, like, yeah, that's a perfect example of what he can yeah. me do and make a long career for himself. Um, and God, the guy hits. He hits. We all saw that preseason game where he just came up and just blew that running back up and caused the fumble. And, I mean, let's face it, he, uh, he didn't get any snaps that, uh, on defense that third preseason game. So when we got to that, that week four preseason game, he had to make an impact, and he did it within the first five minutes of the game. He blew that running back up, and that's what you're going to see with Adrian. And I, um, that's, I, I want to see him out there. I want to see what he can do. I want to see that four-two-five, and I want to see him be, you know, play big like he does. He's he's gonna make some people think twice about coming up, and I'm not gonna lie, I was really pulling for him in that uh, the game versus uh, the Rams, just because I really think he could have gave Todd Gurley some, something to think about when he was yeah. on the ball, almost untouched. You know, you, you saw a couple of the defenders. It's like, God, are they afraid to put their face in there? I don't worry about that with Adrian. Adrian has no regard for his body. He plays 100 miles an hour. He will put his face mask right in his face mask and make a play. And that's what you need. That's what you need on that single high safety. So hopefully we'll see him out there time. soon for sure. Yes, All absolutely. Right. All right, Matt, why don't you tell the fans where they can find you on Twitter? Uh, yeah. Uh, at Matt Allman, three, three, O A L M O N D. And everybody jokes just like the nut. So Matt uh, Allman, three, three, O. And again, Matt not only represents Matt Breida and Agent Colbert, he's a 49ers fan, and he is a great follow on Twitter. Lots of good 49ers to talk, so fans out there definitely got to follow him. Matt, listen, the sky is the limit for you. Um, really enjoyed talking to that. you. We've enjoyed working with you as well. Um, so hopefully, you know, it's, you know, we'll definitely do that in the coming months and years as well. So thank you so much no. for the time. And I we appreciate all the warm words. And I just got to say one thing. I've been going to 49erswebzone.com yeah. for as long as I can remember. You know, I think the first April Fool's joke got me. After uh, me that, too. Kind of <laughs> After that, I think I was kind of savvy to it, but this is definitely a bucket list thing for me. So, absolutely, anybody that ever wants to follow me on Twitter or send me a DM, talks to 49ers football, I'm always down. 
Appreciate it. All right, Matt, thank you for the time. We'll awesome. talk to you thank soon. Thank you, Al. Yeah, right, I bye-bye. appreciate it. Thank you. Bye-bye. All right. Thanks again to Matt Allman for the time. A great talk with him. A lot of good behind-the-scenes stories there on, on the business side of things. Um, he's, he's a good friend to us and to the site, and I, I do, like I said, I look forward to working with Matt in the months and years to come. Appreciate his time on the episode. But getting into this game, Zane, now – want to start off because you know we talked about that the offense looked really good and it did this was this was the best that the 49ers offense has looked in a while it actually looked like a pro style offense but the first play of the game and you know brian hoyer's been obviously he's had a rough couple weeks and that mm-hmm. first pass to me seemed like it took 45 seconds i'm oh. i'm watching it and he turns around and i'm like dude don't throw that ball don't yeah. Brian, don't throw the ball <laughs> He's, is he going to throw the ball? It seemed like it went, he's throwing the ball. It's going to get yeah. intercepted. Like it was so, it was slow motion. Mm-hmm. And I didn't understand how he didn't see it. And you're like, okay, here we go again. But after that, you know what? Hoyer won me over in that game because he played gutty. He played gritty. He played with a lot of heart. He made some big throws. And after two bad games in a, in a game that he, you could say the loss was, was a lot of it was on him against Seattle. He comes out, he throws an awful interception. And then, you know, other than maybe a couple throws here and there, he lit it up. He did. And he had, after that one, that one pass, after his first pass, he had a rating of 112.3. And he was, he was great after that. And he was hitting guys in stride. And there were some drop balls as well and some, some untimely penalties. But he was, he was executing this offense like they expected he would execute it when they signed him. He looked like a seasoned veteran. Like in Seattle, he looked like the, the moment was too big for him. And he looked like, literally looked like a rookie up there because it was his first time playing up there. He didn't know what to expect, but in this case, coming back home against a, an opponent that, frankly, I think the 49ers should still have won the game, but I will say that given the nature of, of what the game turned into and the fact that they were able to come back and, and make a game out of it in the end and, and kind of look good doing it too on, on the offensive side of the ball, like not only Hoyer throwing, but Garcon was amazing and Goodwin had a great catch along the sidelines and Carlos Hyde had another strong game. Like they, they, it kind of gave you a glimpse as to what a Kyle Shanahan led offense can do. And I think that that's the biggest takeaway from this game is that it's a building block for, for the rest of the season. And a, a Kyle Shanahan offense runs well when they can run play action well. And Hoyer was eight of nine for 152 yards and two touchdowns in a perfect passer rating of 158.3 on play action, th- on play action throws in week three. And like you mentioned earlier, they hadn't scored this many points um, since that game against the Chargers in, in Harbaugh's last year. And the Niners had scored two TDs or less in 34 of their last 44 games. So to come out and, and score like they did, I think they did five touchdowns in week three, right? Um, it sh- shows a good sign that things are, are maybe moving in the right direction. I know Thursday night can be fluky, but this was against a good Wade Phillips coach defense and, and the offense was clicking. This was as much as a pro style offense as I've seen look. And I'll tell you right now who is just a stud out there on the end is, is Pierre Garcon. I mean, yep. what a game this guy had, what a professional receiver this guy had. And I, I tweeted out, um, or what a professional receiver this guy is, I should say. And I tweeted out, um, you know, you look at the last two big free agent wide receivers, the 49ers brought in to Torrey Smith and Pierre Garcon last year, Torrey Smith. And I know they're different kinds of receivers, but 2016 Torrey, Torrey Smith played 12 games had 20 catches for 267 yards the whole year. Pierre Garcon in three games this year, 16 catches for 249 yards. So he is on a pace to to have a great season, 85 catches and over 1,300 yards. And that's the most yards we've seen a receiver have since T.O. Yeah, he, he was great. And it's it's nice to see 
that the 49ers have a reliable target and he was exactly what what he thought they would be it's it's nice to to actually have these players develop like Torrey Smith was was miscast he wasn't he wasn't supposed to be number one receiver and I feel like Garcon is is a great number two but he's playing that role of number one really well he's catching short passes he's catching passes along the sidelines he had a long 50 plus yard catch from Hoyer at the near the end of the game like he he's basically been doing everything for him he's shown toughness and veteran leadership like He's the type of guy that that they need to keep around to be able to mentor some of these young guys. And the fact that uh, you'll see you'll see as the season goes on, Al, you'll see that a lot of guys will come open in terms of scheme, like on routes and things like that. They're going to come open, and and it's up to Hoyer, whoever the quarterback is, to get them the ball. So I think that this scheme fits Pierre Garcon's skill set really well. He's able to find open spots. He's able to. Kyle Shannon is able to utilize Garcon's strengths to the fullest. And I really think that this is, this is a really good spot for him. I think that Pierre Garcon is not just, not just a one year thing. I think he's going to be like a, a three, four, five year thing. I think he's probably going to end up playing in his mid playing into his mid thirties with, with the 49ers. He certainly is not showing any signs of slowing down yet. And I thought there were plays to being made all over the field And Marquise Goodwin finally, caught a long pass and he had two catches for 62 yards but probably and not necessarily in the stat line but one of the receivers I was most impressed with was Trent Taylor mm-hmm. I just thought that he he made some plays and he had three catches for 32 yards and obviously he caught that touchdown and he caught the would-be first down at the end of the game which we'll get into the officiating a little bit later but they were going to him in big spots and, and he made some plays and again it's it's difficult for rookie wide receivers to adjust in the NFL. And he's starting to make, you know, he hasn't had a big game yet by any stretch of the imagination, but he's making catches here and showing flashes where you can maybe see why they moved on from Jeremy Curley because they want to get this guy on the field. And I know I said last show that, you know, well, Jeremy Curley could help this offense, and I still think he could. But when you see flashes like that from Taylor, get excited for a fifth-round pick. This guy can end up being a nice producer in the slot for the team. Yeah, not only that, he can return punts too. Like, he fourth or fifth in league in punt returns and punt, punt return yards per return. So he's a multi-dimensional sort of player, and that's exactly the type of guy that you want when you're trying to rebuild a team. You want a guy that can do multiple things, and it's not just a one-trick pony. And that kind of helps balance the rest of your roster out. But as far as receiving goes, he was—I thought he was great in short space. He he had that touchdown, like you mentioned, and he proved to be a reliable receiver. Should have had four catches. He ended up with three catches for just over thirty yards and and the touchdown, but. I think that increasingly he'll become increasingly involved in the in the subsequent weeks. Right now, obviously as a rookie, he needs to develop a little bit and they may be kind of gun shy to throw him in there, but you'll see his snap count increase. And I think that Kyle Shanahan's kind of just feeling out his guys, especially the rookies, because he's never coached them before. So a, a lot of these guys you may see getting more snaps as the season goes on. And I think Trent Taylor's definitely one of them. And I, I want to say this to um, just come out on the record and say it because with Carlos Hyde the past few years, I, I thought there were definitely question marks. Can he stay on the field? It, is he a number one bat? Because he hadn't had a lot of consistent production. If you looked at his stats, there weren't a lot of games where he had over four yards of carry. I know that has to do with the quarterbacks and the offensive line and that sort of thing. But you wondered, can this guy produce as a number one feature back? To me, you can stop those questions because this Carlos Hyde is a number one feature back. If you look at his last nine games, going back to last year, 144 carries for 798 yards, five and a half yards per carry. And other than this past week, 
those other eight games, it's not like he had a prolific passing attack to help him. He looks comfortable in this offense, and there was a lot of questions of whether he would or would not. And he does. He had 25 carries, 84 yards, and two scores in week three. And he just looks like he's really coming into his own. And I know he got dinged up in this past game, and I just hope he can stay on the field. Because to me right now, the sky's the limit for Hyde. I, I really feel he's he's finally finding his groove. Yeah, and it, it's interesting that Kyle Shanahan kept calling his number at the goal line, and I think that that shows Kyle Shanahan's confidence in Carlos Hyde to be able to get the job done. He had, I, I remember near in, in the fourth quarter, he had a run where he was stopped in the backfield, and he he plowed through like three or four guys to get just a two-yard gain and get the ball a little bit closer. And just that run in itself kind of shows you his toughness, and he's becoming more of a more of a complete back because I think he's he's it's basically. Uh, adapt or die, right? That's that's pretty mm-hmm. much what this league is. So, Carlos Hyde's having to become a multifaceted player. He's not just a runner anymore. He can he he needs to catch out of the backfield. He needs to be able to block. He needs to be able to run routes. So, I think overall that's improved his game because it's forced him to be more of an athlete and less of just a bruiser. And honestly speaking, that's gonna that's gonna that's gonna give him a little bit of longevity in his career because he's not going to be taking as many of those big hits. He'll have the ball in space. He'll be matched up against smaller guys when he catches the ball. So in terms of the fit, he says that this is the best offense that he's, he's ever played in. So according to Carlos Hyde, this is, this is the most comfortable he's ever been in an offense. And I think that that bodes pretty well. And and the other guy, if you saw Matt Breda, Matt Breda has been playing, playing pretty well too. Like he's, he's found a lot of holes, mm-hmm. shown a lot of quickness and that's, that's a pretty good story, isn't it? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. And we, we talked about uh, Matt Breda a lot with Matt Allman and just where, where he came from not being an invited to the combine um and coming out and in winning the running back two job you know people had him what oh maybe he'll make the practice squad and mm-hmm. then like i said er- earlier he impressed without pads on and then say oh wait put pads on and he came out and just won the job and and i, I think he's going to be a nice complimentary piece this season when and we'll see his role expand as as, as the years go on and with hyde you know again you have to you do have to worry about the injuries but while he's in there, he's going to be he's going to be the bell cow. He had 28 touches in this game that was ended up being a close game at the end, and a lot of the offense went through him. So it, it's just good to see. 49ers fans should be really excited. Carlos Hyde has arrived in my eyes. He really has. He's impressed the hell out of me um, mm-hmm. at the end of last year and going into this year. But as the offense comes up and and finally breaks out after years we've been waiting for years to see this yeah. offense break out and it finally does the defense lays an absolute egg what what happened you know i think a lot of it has to do with the short week i'm not making excuses for them but they had played two incredibly physical games with against carolina at home and then going to seattle and basically hanging in there punch for punch and and winning three quarters of that game so i think that that's a little bit of that hangover that that you see and and you know look at the Raiders. The Raiders came out and they they laid an egg against Washington. So it, it really you know any given Sunday I like to say, but but it really is is a little bit concerning to me because the corners they they struggled again and they looked a lot like they did in the preseason and they looked uh, you know Rashard Robinson and Dante Johnson they they weren't playing the ball. Robinson had had three penalties, including a crucial one in the end zone on a third down where the, basically there was there was nowhere for Jared Goff to go he was going to throw it away and they they just looked out of sorts I know injuries have a, have a big deal uh, a big a big impact on what they do 
because the safety is kind of the quarterback of that of of the defensive backfield and mm-hmm. and he kind of sets everybody up. But even then, like I, I really thought that Rashad Robinson would take that next step and he's kind of he's kind of stuck in neutral right now, isn't he? And we we sort of wondered about this if there was too much put on him this year to be sort of that that number one corner because he's just coming off his rookie season. He had some really good games last year, but he had some tough games too. And to not have a, a ton of help on the other side, you had to wonder if he was going to get picked on. And it seems like that's kind of happening right now. It's going to be growing pains with him. Do I think? Do, do I think he can eventually become a very good corner? I still do. I still think the talent is there. But if the pass rush doesn't come to fruition, if in week two against Seattle they got a lot of pressure on Wilson and, and it made the corners look better, they didn't get that in week three. So they got picked apart by Jared Goff, who's. 22 of 28 for 292 and three scores. He was absolutely unbelievable. And a lot of it was because they, other than DeForest Buckner, they really couldn't get any pressure on the quarterback. And Buckner was probably the one guy to me in the front seven who played well and he continues to dominate. Um, but even he, he's playing, he's playing a ton of snaps. Um, he played 67 against Seattle. I think he played around 60 against the Rams. So Buckner's in there play, playing a lot. And that front seven struggled. I thought Bowman had a tough game. Um, the linebackers as a whole had a tough game. And, and there was no pass rush. And I saw that you tweeted. And I, I was interested to talk to you about this on the show because I want to get your thoughts on it. About the three defensive linemen that were taken. And we love Buckner. Buckner is what he is. And he's fantastic. But you look at Thomas and in Eric Armstead, do you think these guys are, are three run stuffers and, and the pass rush is suffering because of the type of players they are? I think so. I really do. And I, and when you look at these guys in college, all three of them played the interior defensive line and the sacks specifically with, with Buckner and, and Solomon Thomas, the majority of their sacks came from the interior defensive line position. So really you're asking them, you're asking Solomon Thomas and Eric Armstead to play defensive end. And, and these guys honestly don't have a lot of defensive end style pass rushing moves. They don't, they, they, they're used to occupying blockers. They're used to being up in the middle and clogging the offensive line and, and, and swallowing up running backs and, and which is what they're great at. You look at the run defense and they're really good. They're really good against the run, but against the pass, like they, they, just don't have enough moves to be able to be that game wrecking pass rusher. Like people compared Salmon Thomas to Justin Smith, but the difference was, was that Justin Smith was a more complete defensive end. Now Solomon Thomas could be that at some point in his career, but Justin Smith was, was not only a run stuffer, but he was, he also had pass rush moves and he was also able to occupy blockers, which in turn freed up Alden Smith to get all those sacks. So really, I think that a, they're going to need at least one, just pure pass rusher and B they're going to need to be able to play with a little bit more synergy in terms of, all right, one guy's going to occupy a bunch of blockers and the other guys are going to benefit from it. And, and I know I'm kind of hogging the (laughs) hogging the, the airtime here, but with regard to the linebackers, you have to understand that like these guys, like they weren't, they weren't expecting Ray Ray Armstrong to start. Like they weren't expecting um, even Ruben Foster to start this early. The Malcolm Smith was going to be in there and Bowman was going to be in there and and maybe Foster on, on occasion. But you can see that the defense is suffering because the defensive line is eating up all those blocks, but the linebackers aren't quick enough to make plays. Like you look at the 49ers defense of 2011 through 2014 when you had guys on the line like Justin Smith, Alden Smith, Ray McDonald, and and Willis and Bowman were your linebackers those three defensive linemen would be able to free up Willis and Bowman 
to make plays. There wouldn't be blockers making it to the second level. But the problem is, is that even if blockers don't make it to the second level today with this defense, the linebackers aren't quick enough to make the plays. And you saw that Armstrong was undisciplined and Bowman was missing tackles. So all of that kind of manifested itself into what we saw on Thursday. Yeah, in the 2011-2012, Patrick Willis, Navarro Bowman, you're talking Hall of Fame caliber players. Bowman played at a Hall of Fame level for those few years. Obviously, he's not at that level right now. And Willis is a Hall of Famer. Um, they were both incredible in those years. And yeah, they're not getting that kind of play right now. Hopefully, when Foster comes back, it's going to elevate the unit. I certainly think Foster's a massive upgrade over Armstrong. And maybe that'll help Bowman. But to be honest with you, Bowman had a bad game. And I think a lot of that had to do with quick turnaround. Mm-hmm. Um, Maybe just with his injuries, he just he just can't do that kind of turnaround anymore. And we'll see a better game from him when he has the 10 days rest there. But I do want to, not to pile on Solomon Thomas and, and not to put you on the spot, but you and I are both a little bit vocal. Listen, we don't know what he's going to be yet. He can end up being a terrific player. He's got a ton of talent. But we were both a little bit like, ah, is he the guy you want to take at number three? Is he a difference maker? So was that pick redundant, Zane? Do, do you think the Niners should go in a different direction or is it too early for us to say that right now? I think it's really too early to say because three, three games doesn't really make a career. So I'm willing to wait on, on Solomon Thomas and, and I'm willing to see what he can prove in, in the subsequent years. But on the surface of it, it does seem like they have three really similar defensive linemen. And that's, that's honestly the, the crux of the issue is that they're not mm-hmm. getting any pass rush because they're not pass rushers. So uh, who else would have been the pick there? People would ask. I mean, you know, you could have gone with uh, Jamal Adams from LSU and and look at the need for safety now, right? I know hindsight's twenty right. twenty, but if can you imagine Jamal Adams on this team and what impact he would have? Or Malik Hooker. I know that you were a big Malik Hooker fan, but again, hindsight's twenty twenty, and and in the situation is what it is, and we have what we have. So Solomon Thomas, like he's he's a really raw in terms of pass rush ability. So I'm her- hoping he can learn some pass rush moves and, and hone those skills this off season and, and kind of look at the tape and, and develop into a, into an all around athlete. And I, I think that it's a lesson for John Lynch, isn't it? It's, it's a lesson in, in being able to recognize what you need and what you currently have on your roster. And look, we're not knocking Solomon Thomas right now. We're not making judgments on him as a player after three games. But we, we have all. a show. We have we have a show we have to do. And yeah. we can't say every we can't say every show like oh well you know just wait and see. We have a pretty boring show, so we have to react <laughs> to what happens week to week. And and it, right now, you know, it, it's it, it's a fair debate to have right now when you're not seeing the production as of yet. But we do have to wait, and and we will wait and see. But we will continue to critique. Week after week, that's that's what we're here to do. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I would like to see staying with the defensive line. I'd like to see Eric Armstead just have that breakout game. Yeah, just where you're like, wow, you know, he he just he went out there and he killed it and he was dominant. And he certainly had some moments, but as a first round pick, you know, DeForest Buckner's had those games where you're like, wow, especially this season, mm-hmm. you know, okay, this this guy's going to be a player. Thomas, we're, we're too early to know, but I feel like with Armstead, we haven't seen that yet. There's been a play here and there, but we always hear, you know, how great he's been in in practice and in the preseason. But we haven't seen it in a game yet where it's been like, wow, he's been dominant. He's been good, and he's been good. He's had a, some good games this year. But I just want to see that dominant game from him, and hopefully, that's coming soon. Yeah, Eric Armstead is an interesting guy. He missed all of or most of last year with the, with his uh, with that injury, and his shoulder was bad, and and he had a, he had a few things coming into the league. 
in terms of uh, health issues, but he was always a really kind of raw developmental prospect. And the the pick at the time, personally, I wanted I wanted Marcus Peters at the time because he was on the board. But again, hindsight is twenty twenty, and Armstead was a you know seemingly a, a, he was a, a seemingly good pick at the time. He wasn't a bad pick, but I think that he he really needs to show some signs of growth. And this season, again, it's early on in this season, and everybody's getting used to playing with each other, and it's a new scheme and a new a new team and everything. But I think that he, as long as he shows those flashes, and that goes for everybody, that goes for Solomon Thomas and Buckner and 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 uh, Armstead, as long as they show flashes of greatness and they show flashes of big playability, I think that once the overall talent of the team improves, they'll flash even more. Because as as you know, Jim Harbaugh used to say, "Iron sharpens iron," right? Yeah. Definitely. Now, before we give out game balls, I do want to talk about the officiating because it oh, still man. does not sit well with me. And I'm going to say this. Listen, the refs have a tough job. I'm not saying they don't. It's a fast game. You're dealing with fast players and world-class athletes. And it's, you know, they say you can call holding on every play. It's, it's not easy for, for the officials. I get it. Having said that, some of these calls at the end of games is utterly there it frustrates me as a fan that i have to sit and and watch these guys play hard for 60 minutes and then a ref decides to call a questionable pass interference call and and there's the game just like that and for those who who may not know what happened in in week three with the 49ers and trent taylor runs his route i guess they said what did they say he extended his arm to push off it just looked like me like he ran his his route and even if he did extend his arm it was such a little bit it was a ticky-tack call, and Taylor catches the pass. It would have been a first down in about the Rams 40 with the, with the 49ers down by two, and all of a sudden the Niners are in business where they can maybe win this game with the time winding down. But the official calls offensive pass interference penalty on a play that was at best, at best questionable, and the Niners lose the game because of it. And when is enough enough with the NFL? How many times do we have to see this happen where these officials make these calls that aren't obvious. I mean, if somebody gets ripped down and it's a pass interference, great, you got to call it. But if it's questionable, if it can go either way and the game's on the line, to me, you don't call that. You let the players play the game. You let the players determine the outcome. And the NFL has to do something about these officials who I don't know if the moment's too big for them. I don't know if if they saw some, thought they saw something that wasn't there. I don't know. But the NFL has to do something about these officials because it's utterly ridiculous that the games are decided this way. Yeah, and I and I know a lot of people feel the same way as you, and and to an extent I do as well. But I'm going to talk some people off the ledge right now, and here's how I'm going to do it. The way you win games in the NFL is you take care of your own business. You you handle things when you have a chance to handle them. And when the 49ers had a chance to handle them, the first the very first play of the game, Brian Hoyer threw a pick, and that basically gave the Rams seven points. Then later on in the game, when the 49ers scored, I believe when they got it to within uh, 10, Robbie Gold misses the extra point. And that's, to me, that is actually what determined the outcome of the game. Because if he makes that extra point, the next 49ers touchdown, all they have to do is kick an extra point and they go to over t- overtime. They don't have to go for that next two-point conversion. So, you, you know, Kyle Shanahan burning two timeouts before that two-point conversion. He burned one on fourth down and then another one before the conversion. And they were never able to get the ball back because they couldn't stop the clock. So if they had all three of their timeouts, they could have, they could have stopped the clock even after the Rams punted or scored or whatever they did. 
So really, it's just a lot of mismanagement by the 49ers. To, and then at the end, what happens is that you put yourself in a position where you have to rely on it an, on an official's call or a desperate desperation sort of um, drive to get back into the game or, or to win the game. So I think that if they had taken care of their business earlier on in the game, they would not have been in that position late in the game. But I will say that the officiating overall was was pretty porous, and that call was absolutely terrible. Like if you if you want to see how guys push off and and lock on to receivers and all these things that they were calling. Watch, hey, just watch a Seahawks game. Watch how physical they are on defense, and watch mm-hmm. what they get away with. You know, and and it's every single week they get away with it. Off- offensively too, like last week, they were basically holding the 49ers defensive linemen until a flag was thrown. Otherwise, Russell Wilson was just running around the backfield, like you know, with three guys holding. So it's just there's just an imbalance in this league with the officiating, and and people are are if there's a reason for the pro- decline in the product itself. I'm not talking about viewership here. I'm talking about just the, the quality of the product itself. It's in part because of the officials, because they don't, they, they miss a lot of really easy calls. And the consistency is not there. And I'll play devil's advocate with you a little bit here because you're right. The Niners shot themselves in the foot a million times and, and they've been doing that all season, but the flip side, okay, you have a young team that's supposed to be learning, right? So mm-hmm. these mistakes are going to happen and the team fought in the team made plays Victor Bolden force, forcing a fumble, you know, on, on special teams and it, to crawl back in the game. And you have this, def, what could have been a defining moment in their season, this defining moment in their rebuild, a rookie like Trent Taylor gets open and Hoyer makes a good throw and it's, and you call a penalty and like you, that gets ripped away. It gets ripped away on something that to me, uh, unless there's another angle I haven't seen where, where, you know, it was more obvious that Taylor pushed off. Didn't look like he pushed off at all to me. No. So, to me, it's 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 utterly ridiculous. It's utterly frustrating. And I'm just not saying that because it was the 49ers. I've seen it happen throughout the league uh, countless amount of times, countless amount of times. And it, to me, it's just something that NFL has to address. It, it really, really is. So, Yeah, and, and uh, they need to make these guys full-time officials. They need, to, they need to put these guys through an entire year's worth of courses and watch them watch tape. And these guys have – some of these guys actually have day jobs, like Ed Hockley – uh, some of you might remember him with the big biceps and stuff. He's a lawyer on his on his off time. Like when he's not an official, he's a lawyer. So these guys need to be on the football field all all year round, just like the players are, just like the coaches are. They're surrounded by football. That's what they do. I don't see why the officials should be any different. If you're officiating a game, you're trying to uphold the rules of the game. You're trying to keep it safe and all this stuff. You should make it a full-time job. And I think that when the next collective bargaining agreement comes up for the NFL, that's something that, that they're going to have to talk about. I agree with that 110%. 110%. Yeah. Because, yeah. yeah. you know, there's, there's too, much, too much at stake in, in, in terms of the games here with that. So, yeah. Um, how do you feel about your game ball, Zake? Or, I'm sorry, Zane. <laughs> um, I was actually, I was checking out the uh, Monday Night Football score and I looked at Ezekiel Elliott. So I called Zane Zake. Um, oh, yeah. so apologize for that, uh, Dane. Um, anyway, um, what about your, uh, game balls? Who did you think deserved it this week? So I think I'm going to give my game ball to Pierre Garcon and he, he was great. He had seven catches over 150 yards. He produced like a big time receiver. He looks like a great fit for this offense. He was getting open. He was physical. He was pulling down balls everywhere. Like he, he had a great catch along the sideline and another great catch on a deep pass. So he showed his full full arsenal of skills he he looks like a great fit for this offense and he's on pace right now 
for over 1300 yards. So the same yardage amount that he had the last time he was with Kyle Shanahan. So I hope he can keep it up. So Pierre Garcon gets my game ball. What about you? Um, I was going with Garcon, but I think what I'm going to do is um, I'm going to go with Carlos Hyde. And the reason for that, it was because of 28 touches for him. Um, and I really felt like in a lot of ways, the offense went through him. And I, I thought it was a big game for Hyde. And like I said, he's been playing well for a while now. Um, but he had a couple touchdowns here. And, and to me, I don't know if it just hit me all at once, but I'm like, wow, you know, okay, this, this guy's a feature back here. This is what we've been looking for. And I hope that he can build on that because if he runs the ball well, the play action is going to work, the passing game is going to work, and, and the Niners may be able to steal some games here that we didn't think that they could. So hopefully moving forward, we can see, like I said, the offense and defense actually play well at the same time. Don't know if it's going to be coming up here in week four, but you know I do think the Niners are going to steal a game that people didn't think they were going to, and I believe that's going to happen soon. Yeah, I think so. I think they're they're right on the cusp. Like you can feel it. They lost the last two games by a combined five points. So they're they're right there. They're this team is gonna have to learn, just like they're learning how to how to play in a Kyle Shanahan scheme, they're gonna have to learn how to win together too. And I think they're really close and and these you don't you don't get moral wins for moral victories in the NFL, but really these are these are building block games and and I know I said before the season the Niners would have around six wins but for them to get to that they would have to go six and seven the rest of the way and I don't think they're going to do that so you know fans you're just going to have to be really patient with this team there are signs of progress they are better than last year even if this turns out to be like a one and 15 two and 14 three and 13 season there are there are signs of progress this is just like an expansion team it's a new team new coaching staff new scheme and they're they're kind of just trying to feel things out and build something here. That Shanahan and Lynch got six year contracts for a reason. It's because it won't turn around in a year. So I, I'm really encouraged. I think that, in fact, I'll you know I I kind of want to give a prediction here for for week four. And I think that the 49ers are going to steal this game away from um, away from the Cardinals. And and I think that they're they're really close. Their their offense is starting to click. Their defense had a hiccup, but I think it was a short week. They'll be able to get rested and and get back out there. I think they're going to win this this coming week. Well, this week is big for me because I want to see can the offense sustain what they did against the Rams. I want to see can the defense come back to where they were more against the Seahawks. And I agree with you. I think the short week had a lot to do with it. And just kind of balance everything out a little bit. I'm not saying score 39 points again, but maybe throw up 28. Mm -hmm. I'm certainly not saying give up 41 points again, but maybe you can, you know, keep the Cardinals, you know, in in the high teens, low 20s type of thing. I'm interested to see if they can do that. And this week's going to, to me, tell a lot about, again, where the season's headed. And I agree with you. They're not going to go six and seven the rest of the way, but can this team get maybe four or five wins? Well, we'll get some clues into that this week. If they come out again and lay an egg on either side of the ball, then maybe you have to start saying, okay, maybe a two, three win season is what's going to happen here. But we'll see. Um, We'll have to come out and see if how Hoyer plays, maybe his performance kind of galvanized him a little bit. It rallied the troops around him a little bit. Maybe it gave him confidence in in his ability. Um, Hopefully the defensive line will be rested and and we'll see where it goes from here. Yeah, I I agree. And and I think that again every game they're making progress in a different area right now there's going to be a certain point where they're going to put it all together well i think it's going to be this week we're about a quarter of the way through the season now and and i'd say by week six or seven that team is what it is you know what a team is i think right now we know what it, what what team the 49ers are we we know that they're a, a young team at least on defense 
we know that they're growing team, they're growing pains. And part of those growing pains are our losses. And you're going to see really what they're made of because the losses are going to pile up. That's, that's the reality of it. And we'll see how John Lynch and Kyle Shanahan handle that. And I'm, I'm really curious to see how the team handles that. The fact that they're in all these games, but they're losing. And I have to say it's, you know, they may be three and 13, but damn, it's going to be an, it's going to be a really entertaining three and 13. Cause that was, that was an entertaining game on Thursday. It was great. It was great. It was, I wish the outcome was different, but, but watching that actually, that was the most fun I've had watching a Niners game, I think in a while. So to watch, you know, sort of the back and forth and, and just to watch prolific offense for once, it's been so long, you know, since yeah. they're hitting 50 yard bombs and, and everything else, since you really saw that. So it was great to see, and, and we will see how it goes. Um, and hopefully the next time we talk to everyone, the Niners will get a win under their belts. I don't, I'm not as optimistic as anything that's going to happen this week. Um, if I had to guess, I'll probably say um, the game against the Colts, if Andrew Luck does indeed not play, that would be the first win. That's going to be my prediction. So you already know what I'm going to do next week. But I think uh, <laughs> I, I think they're going to lose to the Cardinals this week. So unfortunately, that's that's my prediction there. Okay, well, I mean, we'll, we're we're at opposite sides, so we'll. Uh, it, it makes for a better a better show next week, right? So one will. of us will be wrong. One of us will be wrong, right? So unless it's a tie, we're both wrong. So uh, yeah, that <laughs> could be. Yeah, that could be. That, it could happen. It could happen. But but um, Al, before we sign off, there's something I want to address. And um, as everybody knows, this is this is kind of an elephant in the room. And I want to address what's happened this past weekend with um, the national anthem and and the National Football League. It's it's an interesting time to be an American, and it's an interesting time to to live in this country. And there are a lot of people with opposing views, and there are a lot of people with empathy and sympathy for um, one side of a debate or another. But we have to remember, as Americans, we we're all on the same side. We all want the same thing. We all want a country that we can be proud of, a country that we can live safely in, a country that we can raise our children in, and a country that is a shining beacon for the rest of the world. And when people are at opposite sides of the spectrum and going at each other like they are currently, we are not any of those things. We are literally beating ourselves up. And personally, whatever view a person has of, of the national anthem and, and how a person should protest injustice, social injustice and social inequality, there are many ways to do that. There are many effective ways to do that. And I really feel like this is a, a really crucial time. Um, this is kind of like a watershed moment for us as a, as a country really to either band together or to be divided further apart. And the comments that came out of Washington, D.C., um, the comments that Mr. Trump made, you know, a lot of those things can be taken different ways. And a lot of people were hurt by that. A lot of people have had extreme reactions one way or the other to that. But we just have to remember that we're all, we're literally quite literally all brothers and sisters in arms here. Like it's not about who's right and who's wrong. It's about taking that next step to really make this a better country. And, uh, you know, it's unfortunate that there was a lot of backlash and it's an unfortunate that people are, um, kind of digging in their heels instead of trying to empathize with others. But I really hope personally that everybody can find, find common ground. Like I, I love this country. I love, I love being an American. I love living here. I love, I, I love my, my fellow Americans. And, you know, this, this whole, um, weekend was just such a, such a surreal experience. Like you had teams that weren't even showing up for the national anthem. You had teams that were kneeling. You had 
teammates speaking out against other teammates from one side to the other. Derek Wolf had some comments of the Broncos and he didn't understand the protest. And there's other guys who, who are very vocal against him. So it, it really, you know, it's just one of those things where we don't, I don't want to get political on the show, but I feel like this is something that we need to address and something that, that we should work with, work with everybody to, to try to come to some sort of understanding. If there's no resolution, at least understanding something, uh, I mean, the person is okay with it. It just means that they understand the other point of view. And I just think that everybody is just on so such extreme sides of the spectrum that, that we're getting further away from that instead of closer. Yeah, I'll say this, and, and this is all I'm going to say about any of it, is just in terms of political spectrum where we are, and, and this is honestly all you're ever going to hear from me about politics on the show, but I look at sensible governing as happening in the middle. I look at it, everything as sort of a gray area. And I think where we've gone in society right now is either very far left or very far right, and all you're doing when you're doing that is going farther apart. So... I feel like I agree. I just would like people to meet more in the middle. And I'd like uh, the people who run this country to look at things in the middle and look at the gray area and not so much, you know, way to the left or way to the right. So this official Al Sacco stance on politics and um, that's all you're going to get out of me on that. So, <laughs> but yeah, you very well put said. That, and- put that down on like a, like a card, just like, you know, like a cue card and just like hand it to people. Like, this is what I do. This is what I just print a t-shirt and just be like, this, this is how I feel. T-shirt. Is how I feel. <laughs> just I like feel a canned like response. <laughs> you could answer every political because it is. I feel strongly that way. That sensible governing happens in the middle, and I can answer yeah. every political question like that. But I don't know. That's why um, we do sports shows and watch sports to kind of get an escape from that sort of thing. So hopefully mm-hmm. we can get back to it being an escape um, and a you know positive thing for people and all that good stuff. So yeah, and hopefully the Niners can get a win soon. So. Yeah, so I'd like to, I'd like for them to get yeah, I'd like for them to get a win um in twenty seventeen. That would be nice. <laughs> At some point soon it would be great. What's it been yeah. like two two in the last nineteen games or something like that? So it's, uh, yeah, three in the last uh, uh I think three in the last twenty four games, and those three are all against the Rams. Oh wait, I wrote something down. They've lost thirty two of their last forty games. Oh, yeah. there we go. That's yep. that's terrible. <laughs> so yeah, we'd like to see a uh win and come on and it would be our first official podcast after a 49ers win. So it will, it it will. Yeah. We, we, we need a landmark where we're 20 plus shows in and we still don't have a W to celebrate. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. What have we been doing since so what? Seven months. And um, I mean, it was yeah. off season for most of it, but still, yeah, no, no wins yet. So we'll see how that goes. Pre-se- but, preseason wins. I mean, we had a couple of preseason wins, uh, but, yeah. you know, that take, I mean, it just doesn't, take, it's not the same, right? Take what you can get, I guess at this point. So, all right. We rambled on enough. Thank you guys again um, for tuning in. Thanks to Matt Allman for the great interview. And for Zane, this is Al. We'll talk to you soon. Peace.